justice and moral order are not in conflict. Um, They are not at odds. If you read the gospel, if you look at how Jesus interacted with people in society, he told them the truth. But there was also a, a level of compassion. And when we enter into these political parties, we buy into the false dilemma that I was talking about before. It's about grace and truth. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Christian politics minus the gospel equals 2020 America. These are the words of Justin Gibney, an attorney, political activist, and co-founder of the AND Campaign, an organization working to get Christians to do politics more faithfully. Justin joins us to talk about his work and the upcoming election and his book, Compassion and Conviction, The AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Justin, welcome to Grace and 30. Glad to be here, Ed. Thanks for having me. So let's just kick off with that statement. You said, what did you mean when you were sort of picturing 2020 America? Yeah, I think part of the problem with Christian politics in 2020 America is that we've allowed our political affiliation to become religious in nature. Uh, I think too often Christians are seeing politics only through a partisan lens, which is a very uh, skewed view, if you ask me, because I think we should be seeing it more so in uh, from the, the, the standpoint of our faith, from the standpoint of the gospel. And I believe that the gospel would have us look at politics as an opportunity to not just follow our own um, preferences and our own interests, but really take it as a time to defend human dignity and to promote human flourishing uh, for our neighbors. And so that we would look, and the book talks a lot about looking at politics through a gospel lens, which would create a framework of compassion and conviction. So what does that look like? It's it's clear. I read a book by Philip Yancey years ago, What's So Amazing About Grace? I mean, life-changing book for me. And he talked in the end about Christians, you know, every time, every time without exception that they get more and more deeply involved in politics, it goes off the rails. How do we stop that? You know, it's easy to say, look at everything through the lens of the gospel, but as a practical, real matter, how do you do that? Yeah, and I don't think it means being less involved in politics. I think it's about our perspective when it comes to politics. So the first thing that I would say is that Christians, although I think there's a practical value to party participation, and I don't talk against party participation, but I do talk against having your party as part of your identity. I think you'll find that when you talk to a lot of Christians on both sides of the aisle, that if you critique their party, uh, if you have something critical to say about their party, then they take it personally. It's as if you had critiqued or you know said something, an, an insult to them uh, or even uh, an insult to their faith. And that's because we don't have a separation in many cases between who we are politically and what our party represents. And I think part of the problem with that is that in our political landscape right now, there's a false dichotomy that I think makes Christians, uh, puts us in this false dilemma where if you care about justice issues, then you'll go to the left. And if you care about moral issues, then you'll go to the right. But I think Christians should be doing both. I think I think our politics uh, shouldn't always be conservative, nor should it always be progressive. I think the gospel has something very unique to offer. And when we just get caught up in ideological tribes and in parties, we miss 
huge aspects of who we can be in the public square as Christians. So I'm, I'm looking around me for an example of someone who does this. The thing I always point to is the scripture where it talks about Christ and the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. And it seems like we're all, some people are leaning towards grace, they're the justice people, and others are leaning towards truth, they're more the law people and less forgiving. I look at John MacArthur's recent words. He said, any real true believer is going to be on Donald Trump's side in this election. I'm actually quoting him. And then you listen to Jim Wallace, and he says, to be a Christian is to stand against white nationalism and the antichrist policies, strong words, coming from the White House. This all just seems maddening. I mean, absolutely maddening. How do you, how do you counter that? I mean, both of these men are, are, are strong believers, and they, they both make certain valid points and all, but they're really on extreme positions. Can you point to any people who are, in your opinion, I guess besides yourself, that are doing it right, people we can point others to and say, this is how to be full of both grace and truth? Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of folks on the national stage that give us great examples. There's some. I would point to smaller examples. Uh, there's there's a sister named uh, a state senator in Louisiana named Katrina Jackson. Uh, she's a Democrat where she could be a Republican. That's not the, the big deal about it. But she's able to say, you know, I care about these justice issues and I'm going to stand up for racial justice. But she's also pro-life. Right. So she's not just accepting what one party has to give to them. And that's my problem with sometimes when we say God is kind of behind one party or you have to vote for one party. You're putting a lot on Christianity within these parties that I don't want to be part of Christianity. Right. Um, these parties have things on both sides that are just not biblical. So to tell a Christian that they have to go with one side uh, or they're not being faithful, I think is a mistake uh, because there's so much, whether it's on the right. I think the, the inability to really address racial justice, uh, some of the issues that have gone on with immigration and how it has gone to the right quite a bit in the last four years, or if, or if it's with the left when it comes to the sanctity of life, when it comes to religious freedom. I don't want to tell Christians that they just have to accept what's in front of them. I want them to have enough moral imagination that whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, they can be a different kind, a distinct kind of political actor and not just a generic Democrat or a generic Republican. Be a Democrat like Katrina Jackson, who says, no, I am pro-life. I am pro-religious freedom. And nobody's going to tell me or, or intimidate me into being different. Be a Republican who stands up and says, no, I'm going to stand up for racial justice. I'm going to stand up when it comes to folks seek, you know, folks who are coming to this country as immigrants and, and needing our help. That's what really we're called to do. We're not called to be hyperpartisan. And so we really have to watch our words when we're telling Christians what they have to do in regard to a political party. So it sounds like you, you're running the risk doing this work that you're doing of being attacked by, by both sides, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's why I'm not in it for that, but I do realize it just comes with the territory. Look, when the gospel comes into contact with human constructs, <laughs> people get upset and there's going to be some conflict there. Uh, and so that's just kind of par for the course. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm more, more focused on getting Christians on both sides to see where we can work together than kind of raising up either side. And it's interesting because if you talk to some conservatives, they think we're trying to make everybody Democrats. You talk to progressives, we, you know, they think we don't care about social justice because we're having conversations with uh, conservatives. So you get it from both sides. But I think as Christians, it's almost part of the tension that we live in as disciples. And there's going to be times when you're misunderstood. Uh, but I do think we have something that uh, or that 
we've been given a vision that could really be helpful to healing some of the things that are going on in the church and in society in general. So it sounds like one of the things the AND campaign is doing is trying to promote you know, Christians walking full of grace and truth, trying to actually do that. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, if you read our book, Compassion and Conviction, that's what we're telling people. We're saying, look, justice and moral order are not in conflict. Um, they are not at odds. If you read the gospel, if you look at how Jesus interacted with people in society, he told them the truth. He didn't just go along or affirm anything that they wanted him to affirm. But there was also a, a level of compassion. Um, and when we enter into these political parties, we buy into the false dilemma that I was talking about before. It's about grace and truth. And we need to take the time to see how those work together and how our political parties just miss the boat in, in a lot of ways and fall short of where we should be. And so one of the major parts of being in politics and, and civic life is the ability and the willingness to challenge your own side, not just the other side, but to understand where the perils of your side lie and be willing to address those as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think who said this recently. I saw someone mention, you know, real courage. It might have been Arthur Brooks when you spoke with him at the Trinity Forum. I think he said something to the effect of, you know, really courage is defending the opposite side in front of your side. And I thought, wow, that's the truth, you know, to really step forward and do that. Why don't we spend a little bit of time talking about at the end campaign, when you formed it, who you're working with, and tell us some stories, man. Encourage us. Tell us about some real things where you've where this work that you're doing is bearing fruit in our world right now. Because you know that's not getting publicity. The, the media is, is they're they're trying to stoke fear and and just you know sell sell things. And and it's just I want to hear I want to hear some good news. So tell us about the AND campaign. Yeah, I mean division and vitriol say it sell, and uh, we're trying to come from a different perspective. So the AND campaign was something that me and the two other co-founders created in what well, we launched in 2016. Um, and in, what we launched was a Christian civic organization that addressed that false dichotomy that I was talking about earlier. We wanted to show Christians how to combine conver the conversation about justice and the conversation about moral order. One of the things that we have to realize and what we're trying to show people is that you can't really have order from a biblical perspective without justice. Uh, you can't be a moral person if you are not being self-sacrificial in how you go about trying to bring about justice. And that's all you can't get through the prophets without seeing justice applied to the social context. Um, but the, then we also want to go to the other side and say, look, you can't have justice without absolute truth. Uh, you can't go and tell the white nationalists or white supremacists that they have to treat other people better unless there actually is a standard and a, uh, and a truth that applies to everyone, a truth that is timeless and a standard that is timeless that everyone must obey. That comes only from an absolute truth. Uh, those things have to work together. And it's sad that we've almost split the gospel uh, to, 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 to fit into these one of these two parties. Uh, that's not the way that it, that it should be. So the AND campaign is trying to raise civic literacy. We're trying to help Christians understand um, the, the civic process, understand the issues, and then apply their values to the issues. And one of the ways that they have to do that is being willing to um, reframe the question. Ed, I'm, I'm an attorney. And so I know that if I ask you a certain question a certain way, that there can actually be two wrong answers. And I think a lot of times in society, when it comes to the policies or positions we take, 
we're we're answering one of we're answering a question that only has two wrong answers. But if we're willing to reframe that question, I think we get better uh, uh, solutions. Uh, so, for instance, in the conversation about the sanctity of life, it's presented in our society as either you support women's health or you support the unborn. And so Christians are in this dilemma to say, well, which one do I support? When the answer is really you should support both. You need to reframe the question. You need to pay attention to why why women are in crisis pregnancies. Uh, we need to look at uh, maternal mortality rates. We need to look at other policy issues that play into women thinking that's their best option. Um, and we have to pay attention to that if we're truly pro-life and not just pro-birth. But then on the other side, we can't go along with the secular progressive narrative that the baby doesn't even exist, that you can just take it out of. You can make it an easy answer by taking that factor out of the equation. That's not intellectually honest. That's not faithful. And it's really sad that we would allow that to happen. And so the end campaign is really trying to reframe questions like that so we can answer it in a better way. Um, and, and that's what we're about. We're also about reconciliation, bringing folks from different parties and different cultures and different races together to work together hand in hand to go about better policy and go about better politics in a nonpartisan way. Uh, and those really are the things that we're, we're focused on. Yeah, I'd really like to hear more about that because um, yeah, I have I have a, I have a profound gray story personally. I I um I loved my enemy. My wife left me 13 years ago. We were married 22 years, and um, I went to her. I, I woke up. I don't know why. Why God did this, but I woke up and I said, "Hey, I'm going to start focusing on me and my faults, and I'm going to see you through graceful, forgiving eyes from now on." And her answer was like, "Get out of my face! <laughs> I'll see you in court." And I did it, or I should say Jesus Christ through me did it for 10 years. And it took seven years for her to really freely say, I love you. And and then a year later, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and I helped her for 21 months. And when she died, we we weren't, we didn't have a new license. We didn't go commit, you know, speak vows in a field like fireproof. We were husband and wife just because I was there serving her and living with her while she died. And I, And it's all about crossing a boundary. And We've had four and a half years we've been doing this program, and I can't tell you how many people come in and talk about whether it's Daryl Davis or, or a guy forgiving his son's murderer or something, you know, crossing a boundary and getting to know those you disdain, you know, your enemies, those you hate. I, I tell us a little bit more about that. You know, how do you get the blue and the red together in some sense and get them, you know, to, to sort of shed these prejudices and sort of tear down the wall that divides them? Yeah, well, that's a beautiful story, by the way. I mean, that, that that is inspiring. And that really speaks so clearly of what the gospel is about. Um, and so what we try to do in, in conversations about getting people to kind of not see folks on the other side as monsters and demons and thinking that your side is completely angelic is you have to make people really face what their positions are. And really, you know, one of the things we say is that a Christian can never be indoctrinated. If you think that everything on your side is OK or acceptable, then you're not thinking critically uh, and you need to go to other people and hear what they're saying and hear where they're at. We're not trying to say that both sides of the political spectrum are the same, but we are saying that everyone has a testimony and everyone has to be seen through certain eyes. And so what we're trying to encourage for Christians is moral imagination. What you're telling me is that when you look at your neighbor, even if they're angry, even if they're hateful, the only way to see them different, the only way to see their human dignity is to try to see them through the eyes of God, which is, you know, seeing somebody who was made in his image and who has human dignity uh, just because they are. 
um, and hearing out what they have to say, knowing that people are dying deaths of despair and that people were raised in situations where you may be similar to them if you were, if you were raised in that situation. So we just we just want to get people to step back and step away from all the vitriol and say, what is this person trying to get at? Am I arguing against the best arguments on the other side or am I making a character out of the other side and making my my uh, argument and debate easy because I'm using the the lesser argument coming from the other side or I'm not even really having conversations with other people. So what we tell people is that when you go into a conversation with someone that you disagree with, you cannot go into that conversation with a posture of self-defense. Um, you ha- you know, too often we go into conversations about politics and race, um, trying to leave that conversation faultless trying to leave that conversation where we're saying, hey, nobody can blame me or my tribe for anything. And if you go into a a conversation like that, nothing gets done. Uh, You have to go into conversations like that with humility, with a spirit of self-examination so that if they say something that's actually true, you have the humility to accept it. Um, You have the humility to say, I need to do better, just like you. At some point, it sounds like you had to say to yourself, I need to do better. I can't just Mm -hmm. be pointing at other people. And even if the other person is somewhat wrong, it's always helpful to find where you can do better. And we have to do the same thing in politics when we're having conversations. Very few people in the Bible who had a conversation with Jesus walked away with a perfect narrative. But too often we want to walk away in a conversation about race or politics with a perfect and really a fictional narrative that just serves our purpose. And we try to get people to step away from that really through Christian principles and Christian uh, grace. Yeah, it's. I sort of alluded to this. Um, the pastor who was counseling me at, at our church, it was a free pastor. This service they gave was amazing. And I went to him, you know, when my wife said she was leaving, and I cried for like an hour and a half, and there was, there was like a pool of, you know, tears on the floor. And then he kind of punched me in the face, like for three or four comments, observations. And, and he said, I challenge you to do these two things. Ask God to show you what he wants you to see about you. <laughs> and stop pointing to her all the time, which we all do in marriage all the time. And then he said, and then ask God to help you to see her through his graceful, forgiving eyes. And let's let's look at the ultimate standard. Christ hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. If I had legions of angels at my disposal and I had just been beaten horribly, I wouldn't have said that. I would have called the angels down. And it seems to me, I actually wrote a book about my experience that the very first step in all of this is to is self-examination is to get the plank out of your eye and work on yourself and then you'll be much more apt to be empathetic and to reach out to other people. I mean, do you feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you even even in tough so when you're talking about race and you think, you know, as an as an African American man, you know, the history of race in America and even the role that the church played in it, it it's tough. It's tough to have conversations about that with people who aren't trying to take the time to understand. But even within those conversations, I think God asked something of everyone. And so I think even for folks on my side of that conversation, he's asking for a level of grace to hear people out, not to be nitpicking so much the language of what they're saying to where I can't even see the orientation of their heart. But I think he's asking us for patience and he's 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 demands that we all seek some type of reconciliation, that we seek some type of healing. So I can't sit in my bitterness. I can't sit in my anger. I have to reach out and give people an opportunity to change, an opportunity to understand the the true, the history of that. And I think in any conversation, political conversation, 
we're all asked for something. Now, based on the amount of power and advantages that we might have in society, there may be more asked of us because we, you know, we 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 have more to, to work with. But everybody in, that's a Christian that's seeking healing, God demands something of you in those in those conversations and in those interactions. And if we can go into the conversation with that on our minds, then there's a sense of humility. There's a sense of I I want to try to make this work. And if it's if it's up to me, right, if, if you know, insofar as I'm in control of this, I'm going to be a peacemaker. Um, and that's what we have to do. And that doesn't mean ignoring issues. That doesn't mean act like serious issues aren't really that big of a deal. That's not what I'm saying. But it is being open and trying to get past it and trying to, to make things work. So are you and your co-founders encouraged by what you're seeing these days by your work? Yes and no. Uh, so if you, uh, as you mentioned, if you watch, you know, the um, mainstream media, if you look how some Christian leaders are throwing insults back and forth and saying things that are that are probably not uh, all that bib- biblical, but more uh, ideological, uh, that can surely be, you know, discouraging to some extent. But I'm, I'm hopeful because, I, you know, I talk to churches from, you know, churches where I come from with a black traditional church to white evangelical churches, you know, have conversations with Hispanic evangelicals, Asian evangelicals and so on. And people are there's groups that are catching on to how we need to come together and are committed to making that happen. So that encourages me, along with the fact that I see so many voices that God is raising up that are articulate and that are trying to do this differently, that can go speak to different type of groups and be biblical, but also resonate with whoever they're speaking with. So you have folks like uh, Dr. Uh, Charlie Dates, Dr. Esau McCauley, uh, Lisa Fields from the Jude Three Pot Project. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, Alan Noble, those folks really encourage me because they're doing the Lord's work and they're doing it with integrity and with orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And that's really what we've been about. I have this notion in my mind. I keep thinking, you know, we have a God who's able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or imagine. That's what Ephesians 3.20 tells us. And I feel like a lot of Christians look at the election and they say, man, you know, this is the political system. We got these two candidates. This is the choice. And they kind of throw their arms up in the air and they, they, they pick the least objectionable candidate. And I've been saying to people for quite some time, you know, why aren't we, if we're, if we're that disgusted with the choices we have, and I'm not wishing any harm on anyone through this comment, um, but why don't we gather together and pray for something different? So pray for Josiah. I'm a big fan of Josiah in the Old Testament. He, scriptures literally say he was the greatest king in Israel. I mean, that, that's including David and Solomon. And he just loved the Lord, and he was evidently gifted in administration and leadership. And I'm sort of like, why don't we ask for that? You know, because God can make anything happen. But what you're making me realize through this conversation is that God sometimes puts us in th- thorny spots and wants us to work through that. He may want to see this division to see how we do the hard work, take up the cross daily and do the work to, to change things and to bring people together. What do you think of, you know, my comment about praying for a Josiah-like leader, making that some sort of a rally cry? Or do you think that's kind of a crazy notion? I don't think it's a crazy notion. I don't think it's necessarily what we have to what we have to get right now. Right. Um there is, and I mean, we can look in the Bible and see when folks asked for a king, <laughs> kind of what happened. Uh, and so we we know that too. But even within this division, and this hits on the second thing that you said, even within this division, within the church, this partisan division comes an opportunity. So there is a uh, critical mass of Christians, biblical Christians on in the Republican Party. 
there's a critical mass of biblical Christians in the Democratic Party. If we were to set partisanship aside for a little bit and we were to focus on six issues that we agreed on and, and me and Ed could say, hey, we don't have to agree on the marginal tax rate because the Bible doesn't speak uh, directly towards that. Right. But when it came to criminal justice, when it came to religious freedom, the sanctity of life, regardless of where our parties were, we were going to come together and we were going to stand together, together on those issues that would completely disrupt this broken political landscape that we have. I mean, completely disrupted and allow the church to kind of have a level of influence for doing good, for protecting human dignity that we've never had before, because you have two constituencies that have never come together, but have all the common ground in the world to come together. We have the same great commandment, the same great commission. There's no reason that folks who look to Jesus and who are all trying to be like Jesus can't come together in the in the public square to have a coalition that says, hey, yeah, we may be in different parties, but parties, not everything on these issues. We're coming together. So there's an opportunity there, even if we don't get the Josiah that we would we would love to see. We need to take, uh, you know, we need to take the time and pray together and fellowship and be willing to make self-sacrifice to come together and change this political landscape. And that's really part of what the AND campaign is fighting for. So you've got a couple more minutes. Um, I want to ask you two questions. First of all, what's the most important piece of advice you want to offer people, challenge you want to give them? It's your, your, your elevator pitch right now for people. What, what do you want to share with our listeners? The first thing I would say is be courageous. Uh, and, and like I said before, I'm talking about that early church courage. Be courageous enough to have a distinct public witness. Just because you're on the right doesn't mean that you can't really engage the conversation about racial justice and challenge your side to do the same. Doesn't mean that you can't really engage your side about voter rights and, 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 and challenge them to be better on that. Just because you're on the left or you're a Democrat doesn't mean you can't turn and look at your side and say, hey, where we're headed with this abortion conversation is completely uh, irresponsible and, and reprehensible. We have to change. We have to change on religious freedom. Have the courage to be able to stand up to your side and say what they can do better. Do not just be a generic Democrat or generic Republican. And do me a favor also. Could you just please share with listeners, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. I mean, Jesus Christ came uh, to save us and it is available to all of us. Uh, and, you know, just to know that this isn't the end. I mean, and, you know, to apply the gospel to what we're going through right now, there's a lot of tough things going on. But guess what? This isn't politics isn't an ultimate thing. And we can engage and we can be passionate and we can take it seriously, but still have joy in knowing that there's something greater, that salvation and uh, what we have to come is much greater than where we are here. But we engage now because we care about our neighbors and we engage now to glorify God. But it's not the, the end all and be all. And we need to uh, take, you know, take some consolation, you know, take, uh, you know, find some joy in that, that truth. Yeah. I like to say to people, you know, we, we got a King coming and he is perfect and he is bringing true hope. He's not Trump. He's not Biden. He's not anyone else. And he's going to bring a perfect kingdom. And I, I'm trying to use that these days to unify we, me with people, believers who disagree with me and also to just share great news with people outside of the church. So Justin, thank you so much for joining me in your insights. And if listeners would like to find out more about his work 
and the AND campaign. Check them out on the web at andandcampaign.org. And I'll also put a link for the book on the website. This is Ed and Justin signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.